Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We are the show that pushes back against the Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is afraid to talk about. This is episode 195 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. It's Saturday, July 16th, 2022. Coming up, is the CDC trying to groom your kids should they be on the next episode of To Catch a Predator? Is the USA going to be one of the countries facing a starvation epidemic? And what grocery store billionaire is pushing drag queen shows on little kids? All that and more are on this edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Now, just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman, and I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to mention. So So this is a really different kind of talk show. We're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Now, let's get to probably the most important thing first, um, the idea of a starvation epidemic. What's the deal with that? Over at theepochtimes.com, E-P-O-C-H, theepochtimes.com, Gregory Copley has a new article entitled, Sri Lanka and the Start of a Starvation Pandemic. Now, Mr. Copley, maybe it's Copley, probably Copley, is president of the International Strategic Studies Association based in Washington. He's from Australia, a member of the Order of Australia, and his latest book is The New Total War of the 20th Century and the Trigger of the Fear Pandemic. So let's take a look at what he's saying here over the epictimes.com in his commentary. Poor governmental decisions in many countries are leading to mass starvation and public retaliation against their governments. Sri Lanka's current dire problems in which popular street action has thrown out first a sitting prime minister, then his replacement, and then the sitting president seem likely to be a precursor to similar actions elsewhere in the world. And Sri Lanka's problems are nowhere near being resolved as its population starves. Moreover, eradicating the immediate symptoms of popular discontent does not guarantee that underlying structural problems have been eliminated. A significant and growing number of countries are presently facing mass discontent over economic and security issues, and some are close to the Sri Lankan situation. Now, Sri Lanka's growing economic and political crisis seemed to have moved moved a step closer to resolution July 11th, when Prime Minister Ranil Wickremesinghe announced only two months after being appointed to his position that he and his entire cabinet would resign, along with President Gotabaya Rajapaksa, to clear the way 
for a new all-party unity government. On July 13th, Rajapaksa fled Sri Lanka with his wife, Ioma, to Mail, the capital of the Maldives Islands, on an old Sri Lankan Air Force Antonov An-32 twin turboprop transport aircraft. Maldives Air Traffic Control refused permission for the aircraft to land until the Speaker of the Maldives Parliament intervened. There was no evidence that Rajapaksa had provided the constitutionally necessary written resignation to the Speaker of Parliament, but de facto, Prime Minister Wickremensing became acting president and the focus of the new mass public protests. Therein lay some, some of the challenges. Constitutionally, once the Sri Lankan president and prime minister formally resign, and the president must resign by letter to the Speaker of Parliament, the Speaker could then be appointed as acting president. Parliament would then vote within 30 days for a new president to complete the current presidential term, which is scheduled to end in 2024. The problem of creating the new all-party government would lie, however, in the fact that Parliament itself remained dominated by the Rajapaksa-dominated People's Freedom Alliance, which controls 145 of the 225 seats in the Sri Lankan Parliament, with only the Samagi Jana Balawegaya, formed in 2020, with any substantial number of seats, 45, and the remainder held in ones and twos by small parties. In other words, the new government to be formed after the collapse of the Rajapaksa administration would still, in essence, be controlled by the Rajapaksa family, at least in the eyes of the protesters who had demanded an end to that era. Now, this was not lost on the protesters, who had targeted the homes of at least 40 ruling party parliamentarians in recent weeks. However, in the interest of maintaining continuity as Sri Lanka continued to negotiate with the International Monetary Fund over possible financial support, Central Bank Governor F. Nandale Wirasing would remain in his post saying he would serve out his six-year term. Boy, these are some difficult names to pronounce. Well, we're going to get to the tie-in here, I think, to the USA in a few. The final collapse of the Rajapaksa administration occurred due to mass protests on July 9th targeting and occupying the homes of Rajapaksa and Wickramasinghe. And although the Prime Minister and Speaker of Parliament announced that the President and government would step down on July 13th, the President himself remained silent. Rajapaksa had been whisked to safety just before the mob descended on his official residence. Wickramasinghe's private home was set on fire. Border control officials on July 12th stopped the president's brother and former finance minister, Basil Rajapaksa, from flying out of Sri Lanka. Still, It was understood he finally was able to leave. Meanwhile, no word was heard from another brother, former Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa, who had been removed from office May 12th and replaced as an emergency measure by Basil Wickramasinghe. 
Sri Lanka's economy had seemingly collapsed overnight in 2022, but the seeds of that collapse and ensuing food shortage had been sown earlier. And the COVID-19 global health crisis had meant that tourism, Sri Lanka's economic mainstay, 12.5% of their gross domestic products in 2019, had been wiped out between 2020 and 2022. For various reasons, Sri Lanka was already on the way to an economic meltdown by the time then-Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa began his fifth premiership term, August 10, 2020. President Gotabaya Rajapaksa, the former Prime Minister's younger brother, in May 2021, compounded the problem by instituting a policy to make Sri Lanka the world's first fully organic farming nation, banning all importation of agrochemicals, including fertilizers and pesticides. There you go. There you go. That's what the globalists want for all of us. Anyway, the move was ostensibly instituted to address a rise in kidney disease thought to be the result of fertilizer exposure among farmers. But food production plummeted immediately between 20 and 70%, depending on the crop, severely impacting the local supply of foods and major export crops, such as tea. This problem, the loss of local food and export revenues, coupled with a shortage of foreign exchange holdings, escalated the country of Sri Lanka's economic crisis. Farmers make up some 30% of the Sri Lankan labor force. And their output of rice, a staple of the local diet, fell between 40 and 50% during the growing season, known as Maha. As a result, Sri Lanka imported some 330,000 tons of rice in the first few first three months of 2021, compared with only 15,000 tons imported in 2020. In May 2022, the government said it would reinstate the use of chemical fertilizers and pesticides, but it was too late. Many farmers had left the land or had been bankrupted and no funds were available to import fertilizer. In any event, the Ukraine war with Russia, which began in February 2022, severely impacted the availability of chemical fertilizers that had previously been key export commodities from Ukraine and Russia. At the same time, Sri Lanka was forced to default on interest payments on its sovereign debt It had run out of cash, and the country faced the reality that it had little food and no reserves of petrol and petroleum products. Sounds like what uh, Biden's doing over here in just draining the strategic oil reserve, right? Widespread and rolling power cuts followed in Sri Lanka. Riots and protests arose against the government in major urban areas of Sri Lanka. Prime Minister Mahinda Rajapaksa resigned May 9, 2022, and his Sri Lanka Potajana party, 
offer to support a new government under an opposition leader. Still, it was clear the protesters also sought the resignation of the prime minister's younger brother, President Gotabaya Rajapaksa. Opposition leader and former prime minister Ranil Wickremesinghe, 73, was sworn in May 12th, attempting to form a new unity government. Harsha de Silva, a member of the SJB, the largest opposition group in Parliament of Sri Lanka, was offered the finance ministry but rejected it, saying he would work with the people to remove the Rajapaksa administration. The Tamil National Alliance said the administration had completely lost legitimacy with the reappointment of Wickramissing. A significant number of other societies face similar challenges to those of Sri Lanka, particularly in Africa. Popular discontent has recently been a key factor in other countries, such as Sudan. It looms in Iran, Egypt, Ethiopia, South Africa, mainland China, and elsewhere as food shortages begin to show. This is a starvation pandemic caused by government decisions that is about to burst onto the global stage. That is Gregory Copley, president of the International Strategic Studies Association based in Washington. And that is his commentary over the epochtimes.com, E-P-O-C-H, epochtimes.com. I want to take a look at it. Because, see, the, the concern... For Americans, is that everything the Biden regime does seems to be intentionally making life more difficult for us here. You know, I mean, you hear Kamala Harris say, well, the price of gas has gone down steadily for 30 days in a row. Excuse me. It's still almost $5 a gallon national average. And you have no intention of it getting it back down to where it was when Trump was president. So don't give me that. The price of gas is what makes everything else go up, and they don't care. It is intentional. So I'm just saying. You know, I don't know if anybody else is talking about the farmer protests in places like Holland and Germany. And the protests in the streets of hundreds of thousands of people in Albania or Italy, Spain, what's going on in Sri Lanka? I, have any, I don't have any idea. If it's, you know, when you turn on Fox News, they don't talk about it. I mean, they won't show you the videos. Well, Tucker might, but that's about it. So anyway, as I have said before, um, I'm the show that's trying to tell you what's going on, okay? Now, before we get to updates on stories from the last episode, is the CDC trying to groom your kids? Should they be on the next episode of To Catch a Predator? Okay, Spencer Lindquist over at Breitbart has this very, very troubling article. And um, it is entitled CDC directs CDC directs LGBT children to secretive chats 
about sex changes, activism, and the occult. Now, I don't think there's any such thing as LGBT children. I think they're trying to groom kids to get into that lifestyle. And so I had no quibble with the article itself because that's what it's about. CDC trying to groom little kids. But sometimes a different person does the headline than the reporter does the article. So I just had to bring that up. Um, about the, the headline for the article itself. So before I get into that, before I get into what grocery store chain billionaire is uh, pushing drag queen story hours on little kids, I just want to remind you how thankful we are that our advertisers, our friends, our advertisers make it possible for us to do what we do on the Doc Washburn Show every day. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online, and they'll drive it to you no matter where you are. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website to put you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry, Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has a button that says Explore Payment Options on it. Clicking that button guides you through a few easy questions and then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can figure out what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live, redriveryourway.com. You will be glad you did. All right, let me ask you this. Does your financial advisor take the time to listen and get to know you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situations change? When you work with Jonathan Presswood, he focuses on what's important to you. He uses an established process to help you achieve your unique goals, whether that's preparing for retirement, making your money last in retirement, planning your estate or inheritance, preparing for the unexpected, or anything else. Jonathan Presswood can help. Now, what should you do if you leave a job and have a 401k or other retirement plan? Or if you're getting close to retirement or already in retirement, call my friend Jonathan Presswood today. He'll help you create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And he'll partner together with you to help your strategy stay on track no matter what life throws at you. Listen, we can all dream of having a perfect retirement, but how many of us will actually experience it? 
No matter where you are today, Jonathan Presswood is offering a free retirement analysis to figure out where you'd like to be and what it will take to get you there, and there's no obligation. Contact Jonathan Presswood, a financial advisor with Edward Jones Investments, today at 501-303-4844. Again, that's 501-303-4844. Don't wait. Call Jonathan Presswood today at 501-303-4844. Now, if you're like me, you can't remember phone numbers, go to our website, docwashburnshow.com. Just click on the link to Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones. Edward Jones, making sense of investing. Member SIPC. Thanks again to our friends, Jonathan Presswood at Edward Jones Financial and Mitch Ward at Red River Your Way for making it possible for us to do what we do here every day on the Doc Washburn Show. We appreciate y'all. All right, let's take a look. Over Breitbart, a t- uh, journalist Spencer Lindquist has the article, CDC directs LGBT children to secretive chats about sex changes, activism, the occult. The Centers for Disease Control and Pre- Prevention, the CDC, is promoting to youth an online chat space that discusses sex, polyamorous relationships, the occult, sex change operations, and activisms, and is specifically designed to be quickly hidden while being used. It also mixes in LGBT adults with children and is run in part by Planned Parenthood. It's called Q Chat Space. The platform is advertised on the CDC's LGBT Health Youth Resources page. The chat service, which describes itself as a community for LGBTQ plus teens, is available for those ages 13 to 19 and can be hidden from parents and focuses on a number of mature themes. QChat hosts conversations on a number of different mature and sexual topics, including Drag Culture 101, Sex and Relationships, Having Multiple Genders, intended for bi-slash-pan youth. One chat celebrates RuPaul's drag race, while another is called Queer Youth Activism, which is intended for youth of color. QChat also features conversations on gender affirmation surgeries as well as on hormone replacement therapy. Now, that is what um, Republicans in the Arkansas State Legislature tried to outlaw, and uh, the so-called Republican governor, Asa Hutchison, vetoed their bill. He didn't want it to be against the law for kids to be mutilated to try to change their gender. I mean, they overrode his veto, so that was a good thing. Almost all the Republicans in the Arkansas State Legislature 
voted to override Governor Ace Hutchinson's veto. But the law still has not taken effect. Why? Because the state of Arkansas was sued. Who were they sued by? The Walton Family Foundation. That's the heirs to Sam Walton and Walmart and the Arkansas Chamber of Commerce. They want transgender surgery to be legal on prepubescent children in the state of Arkansas. Just so you know. Just so you know. Going back to the Breitbart article, there are also chats on astrology, including self-discovery in astrology, and one titled Queering Queering Tarot, a reference to tarot cards commonly used in occult practices. The sexually, politically, and even spiritually charged material is intermixed with content that appeals to young children, such as conversations on video games, Pokemon, and Star Wars. One meme posted on QChat's Instagram page displays a Trojan horse explaining that children may realize they're queer after learning about queerness from their friends. You know, it sounds like grooming to me. The chat seems specifically designed to be concealed from parents and family members. Each section of the website has a large bot button on the bottom of the screen that says, click slash tap here for a quick escape. And shows a stick figure running towards an exit. When clicked, the button takes users to the Google homepage, thereby hiding the site. The site also notes that users can get reminders that obscure the name of the chat, explaining there are two text messages, there are two text message reminder options, discrete or detailed. Going on to explain that discrete text reminders are private, they do not include Q chat space on the name of the chat. One of the rules of QChat is to keep confidentiality and agree that what's shared here stays here. An academic article about QChat published on the National Library of Medicine website praised the service for its ability to be hidden from parents, saying that the platform's chat-based nature likely helps youth avoid concerns about family members accidentally overhearing their conversations. The National Library of Medicine sounds like they are in favor of the grooming, in favor of children not having oversight over their, parents not having oversight over their children's activities. But I digress. Breitbart continues, But while the chats are designed to be hidden from parents and family members, one chat session was called Finding Chosen Family, while another was titled How to Deal with Family During the Holidays. The conversations are facilitated by left-wing activists from a number of organizations. Some facilitators use alternative pronouns like XE or XEM instead of 
he and him or she and her, X-E and X-E-M, with one identifying as black, genderqueer, gray slash ace, and neurodivergent. The heck does that mean? Another facilitator is a self-described drag artist and is black, non-binary, queer, asexual. When children apply to join QChat, they're asked a number of different questions regarding their race, gender, and mental health. The application also asks children their racial and ethnic background, how often they feel depressed or hopeless, what their sexual-slash-romantic orientation is, and how they feel about their gender identity. You know, sounds like grooming to me. I think that's what it is. QChat is run in part by Planned Parenthood, which Breitbart News recently revealed offers hormone replacement therapy to minors and has claimed that transgender identity can be cemented early in elementary school. Do you know that? Planned Parenthood has also promoted QChat in a video posted to their Tumblr account. Yeah, the Planned Parenthood in the, in Little Rock, they're all about providing transgender services. They've been quite open with that. Breitbart News reported in May that the Arizona Department of Education has promoted QChat. Sounds like... Um, Sound like the governor probably should have uh, fired the secretary of education in Arizona there when when that came out. But hey, I wonder. I wonder if the uh, Arkansas Department of Education promotes QChat. I'm just curious. I'm just curious about that. I wonder. Let's see. I wonder if I could just do a little, uh, do a little search here and find out. Let's see, the Arthur Beagley LGBTQ Resource Center in Arkansas, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Let's see. Maybe maybe it'd be easier if I uh, do a little search for, say, Arkansas. Arkansas Department of Education. Let's, let's try that. Nothing surprises me these days. You know what I'm saying? I mean, okay, Arkansas Department of Education. If if Arizona's Department of Education is pushing QChat, I would be shocked if Arkansas's isn't. But I don't see it. I don't see it. Because, see, 
The Walton Family Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, and the Walmart heirs, they're all about pushing the LGBTQ thing. Let's see. Wait a minute. KATV. May 25th. That's a Little Rock TV station. State Department of Education promotes online chat spaces for LGBT students as young as 10. Oh, but it's an article about the Arizona Department of Education. Okay, I thought I'd hit on something here about um, about Arkansas, but that's not what it's about. So it's it's from a reporter from a sister TV station in Phoenix, Arizona, about Arizona. Huh? Interesting. 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 No, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna click one more link. I'm going to click one more link just because I thought I had something there for a second. Um, no, okay. Well, I mean, if Arkansas is doing it, they're keeping it well hidden. That's all I got to say. Wait a minute. Okay, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me do something. I'm going to separate Q from chat and see if that see if that changes anything. Let's see. Uh nope, 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 nope. That's stunning to me because I know that the LGBT deal is being promoted in Arkansas schools. I mean, in a lot of those student handbooks even in rural Arkansas communities, they make it clear that if uh, one of your schoolmates decides to change gender and you don't affirm that Bobby is now Brenda or that Stephanie is now Hank, then you're a bully. That's actually in student handbooks in the state of Arkansas. Deep red state of Arkansas. Just so you know. All right, now. Before we get to updates, before we get to updates from some of the uh, stories from the last episode, what grocery store chain billionaire is pushing drag queen shows on little kids? You can't make this stuff up. And that is what's coming up Next on the Doc Washburn Show. Let me once again express how thankful we are to our advertisers. I want to mention a couple of them to you. They make it possible for us to do what we do. Like my friend Justin Minton. M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton in Benton. Now, Justin's a former insurance adjuster who left the insurance industry to become a private lawyer, founded the Minton Law Firm to help injured people fight against powerful insurance companies and corporations. And he has sure helped me out with the three automobile accidents I've been in since 2019. The Minton Law Firm has a great team of lawyers, including the 2016 Trial Lawyer of the Year, 
and the 2016 Outstanding Young Lawyer of the Year. The insurance companies take Justin Minton and his team of lawyers seriously because they know they can and will take your case to trial if need be. So whether you want to go to trial or settle out of court, it's a really good idea to have a knowledgeable trial attorney on your side. Justin's team aims to bring justice to clients who have been injured and need somebody to stand up for them. No matter what the injury, Justin Minton makes sure the Minton Law Firm always works hard for you. Whether you're in a car wreck, hurt of the job, or you or a loved one is suffering from the carelessness of another, if you're in Arkansas, Justin Minton Law, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton, is here to help you. Just call the Minton Law Firm, 501-943-4195, or visit justinmintonlaw.com today. Hey, I'd like to help you with some health issues. You have migraines, neck pain, back pain, vertigo, acid reflux, eczema, problems with your blood sugar, maybe even hay fever. Okay, let's do a little test. Look in the mirror. Does one eye look bigger than the other? Are your eyes off balance? Are your shoulders off balance? Look at a picture of yourself. Are you tilting your head to the left or the right instead of sitting up or standing up straight? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, you probably need to get your atlas adjusted. That's how I got rid of my migraines, neck pain, and hay fever. Let me explain to you how it works because it's the best-kept secret in American healthcare. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs 2 ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column can get kinked up like a chain, restricting your central nervous system's ability to send impulses to the rest of your body. It can affect your respiratory system, reproductive system, circulatory system, even digestive system. And yes, it can cause migraines, neck pain, back pain, acid reflux, eczema, vertigo, problems with your blood sugar. Do yourself a favor. If you're in Arkansas, call my friends at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center 501-279-2009 for a free consultation to see if you need to get your atlas adjusted, because you probably do. If you're outside Central Arkansas, go to their website, turnmypoweron.com, and click on Find a Doctor Near You. And I sure hope you can. All right, thank you so much again to our friends, our advertisers, Dr. J.R. and Tanya Crabtree, my doctors at the Arkansas Upper Cervical Center. Also, Justin Minton, M-I-N-T-O-N, Minton and Benton. Great attorney and my attorney. Appreciate y'all for making it possible for us to do what we do here on a daily basis. So, there's a story out now about, and it's really hard to believe, but uh, about a grocery store chain billionaire that is pushing, he's, he's funding drag queen shows for little kids. Texas Scorecard has a story. Texas grocery store tycoon Sponsors drag queen shows for kids. Sebastian Castro over at Texas Scorecard. Had the story just a couple of days ago. Charles Butt, the billionaire heir and CEO of the Texas grocery empire, H-E-B. Sponsored a recent 
supposedly family-friendly drag show and spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on anti-school choice campaigns. In June, HEB sponsored an LGBT pride event in downtown Austin. The event called Rainbow on the Creek included a drag queen story hour, a so-called family-friendly all-ages drag show performed by a group called the Hydrated Queer Kitties, and a pride parade. So a tweet from the Twitter profile Libs of TikTok showed the scantily clad performers dancing sensually in front of parents and their children. The event's website says the celebration will include 25-plus activities by LGBTQIA plus nonprofits and partners, a queer BIPOC and Latinx artisan and craft market, gender-affirming care and sexual health resources, and many more activities for the whole family. And um, sponsors include PNC Bank, HEB Grocery Stores, Tito's Vodka, Google, the Powell Foundation, uh, this is just, it's outrageous. Uh, the Applied Materials Foundation, Crane Center, Vivent Help, pardon me, Vivent Health, Univision, Austin, Richard Rainwater, Capital Right Distributing, Ascension Seton. That's just uh, messed up, man. Anyway. But this is not the only controversial cause that the heir to the H-E-B fortune, Charles Butt, has supported. One of his influential anti-school choice operations comes in the form of the Charles Butt Public Education Political Action Committee, which has made donations to 22 political campaigns that oppose school choice. The PAC has received $750,000 in contributions from Charles Butt. Of the 22 campaign donation recipients, 16 are Republican candidates, including Texas House Speaker Dade Fellon, State Representative Glenn Rogers, and Comptroller Glenn Hegar, who received a combined total of $120,000. Of the 16 Republican candidates, Phelan and six others have been endorsed by the Texas State Teachers Association, part of the National Education Association, the largest teachers' union. The Texas State Teachers Association also currently endorses Democrat gubernatorial candidate Robert Francis Beto O'Rourke. This is nuts, man. I mean, when I lived in Austin, I used to love going to H-E-B. But I was in Texas now. There's no way in the world I go back. Charles Butt has also heavily funded the Raise Your Hand Texas organization, which opposes school choice and advocates for spending more tax money on the current public system, as well as the Charles Butt Foundation, which also opposes school choice. However, his campaigns have placed him at odds with a growing number of parents across the state. 
2022 morning consult poll revealed that 76% of Texas parents would support directly funding students instead of the current government system. Additionally, a record number of Texas families are now choosing to homeschool their children. The Texas Homeschool Coalition reports a near tripling of homeschooled students between April and October 2020, from 4.5% up to 12.3% of all Texas students, making for a total of 750,000 homeschoolers in Texas, alongside 250,000 students in Texas private schools. The popularity of school choice among families and grassroots activists grew significantly during the China virus lockdowns when parents across the nation were able to look more closely at the dysfunctional government monopoly system and what schools were teaching their children. As Texas scorecard is frequently chronicled, many decried the troubling and sexually explicit curricula and racist ideologies taught in their children's classrooms. With the Republican Party of Texas selecting school choice as a legislative priority, For the upcoming 2023 state legislative session, parents and citizens are eager to see how the Republican-controlled Texas legislature will respond. Boy, ain't that the truth. So, Texas is pretty steadily the number two state for the Doc Washman Show when we look at where the downloads of our podcasts are coming from, Arkansas is number one, Texas number two. So just uh, word to the wise. If you're in Texas, word to the wise. Okay, um, you know, I love it. I love it when I get to say, um, hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you in part by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom, including your freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to, online, and have it delivered to your front door anywhere in the continental United States of America. Okay, today's tweet of the day brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com is from a comedian with almost 600,000 followers on Twitter, conservative comedian Tim Young, who goes as Tim Runs His Mouth. And here's the tweet of the day. He says, if I know someone with dementia that has nuclear weapons, should I report him under the red flag law? Oh! Looking at you, Dementia Joe. Man, oh, man, oh, man. Thanks again, RedRiverYourWay.com. We appreciate it. Now, we were talking about Deborah Burks yesterday. Michael P. Singer over at the Substack had a very revealing article about her. And there's more. There is so much more. I've got a uh, I've got a clip here from Jim Jordan just this week grilling Deborah Burks under oath. U.S. House of Representatives, and it went something like this. 
So here's what I'm concerned about. Let me ask the question this way. When the government told us, told the American people, that people who had been vaccinated couldn't get it, were they guessing or were they lying? I don't know. All I know is there was evidence from the global pandemic that natural reinfection was incurring. And since the vaccine was based on natural immunity... You cannot make the conclusion that the vaccine will do better than natural infection, although it can often do slightly better. I think that's, I mean, you're an expert. You were on the task force. You were part of this this effort when you were in the previous administration. And you're saying in this administration that you can't rule out the fact that our government was lying to us when they told us the vaccinated could not get the virus. I don't know about their discussions that they had in the task force. So I can't tell you that. I can tell you as a family member who had individuals that were susceptible, of course we got everybody vaccinated. But we still use layered protection during surges because I knew potentially the vaccine immunity would wane like natural immunity waned. And there was evidence that every four months reinfection was occurring in South Africa. Wow. When the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't transmit it, was that a lie or was that a guess? Or is it the same answer? I think it was hope that the vaccine would work in that way. And that's why I think scientists and public health leaders always have to be at the so, table so being it, very clear what we know and what we this, don't this is This is important for the country to know. So when I asked the question, when the government told us that the vaccinated couldn't get it, and I asked you if it was a guess or a lie, you said you don't know. You said you think it was hope. So what we do know is it wasn't the truth. So they were either guessing, lying, or hoping and communicating that information to the to the to the citizens of this country. I think they were hoping, but you should know in those original phase three trials that were done in this country that we only measured for symptomatic disease. So we weren't proactively testing everybody in those trials to see if they got infected with mild or asymptomatic disease. And so people had to present within the clinical trial. So we never had the data that it was going to protect against asymptomatic infection. I'm just struck with the irony. We We got government agencies guessing, hoping, or lying uh, with with the information they're presenting to the American people, and this is the same this is the same administration that wants to set up the the disinfor- government governance disinformation governance board and wants to talk about misinformation, and they're the biggest purveyors of misinformation, false information, hopeful information, but not accurate and true information. Which is uh, again the frustration I think so many of the folks I get the privilege of representing have shared uh, have shared with me. Got it. They made it up as they went along. They made it up as they went along. Um, there's a lot here to be upset about. And Deborah Burks. Oh, my goodness, Deborah Burks. Let me um let me do this. Before we get to what the NIH is now admitting about how the uh the China virus started. Let me go to Jeffrey A. Tucker, president of the Brownstone Institution. And some of the quotes 
some of the quotes he has from Deborah Burks's book. He says, before posting my final review of her book, I offer you one more excerpt on how she doctored the weekly COVID reports to the states coming from the White House. You won't believe this one. Again, from her book. She says, week by week, Mark's office began providing line-by-line edits after the heavily edited documents were returned to me. I would reinsert what they had objected to, but place it in those different locations. I would also reorder and restructure the bullet points so the most salient, the points the administration objected to most, no longer fell at the start of the bullet points. I shared these strategies with the three members of the data team also writing these reports, Our Saturday and Sunday report writing routine soon became write, submit, revise, hide, resubmit. Fortunately, this strategic sleight of hand worked. That they never seemed to catch this subterfuge left me to conclude that either they read the finished reports too quickly, and that's where the, uh, the screenshot ends. Again, Jeffrey Tucker president of the Brownstone Institute says the White House under Scott Atlas tried to stop insane testing madness in which everyone, including people who were well, constantly forced to test by changing the CDC guidelines. They did. The guidelines were mysteriously changed back. Look at this from Deborah Birx's own book. Again, here's the quote. From her book. Less than a week later, Bob and I had finished our rewrite of the guidance and surreptitiously posted it. We had restored the emphasis on testing to detect areas where silent spread was occurring. In other words, she believes that you can have a disease and not ever have any symptoms. I uh, I think she's either insane or worse. Anyway, she continues, it was a risky move, that is, changing the CDC guidelines back. And we hoped everyone in the White House was, would be too busy campaigning to realize what Bob and I had done. We weren't being transparent with the powers of being in the White House, but we were being transparent with the American people. What a liar. What a horrible person. Again, Jeffrey Tucker says, Oh, brother, check this out from Deborah Burks. Scott Atlas wrote a best-selling book and is a hero to millions of Americans and famous all over the world for being 100% correct. But what Deborah Burks says, as it turned out, Scott Atlas faded into oblivion after the, ele- after the election. She says, I didn't know then. And I don't know now where he went or what he did. The important thing was he was no longer a physical presence in the White House. Still, I couldn't say that sad chapter in this story was over. The impact Atlas had had in his three months in the White House is still being felt. She didn't have any idea what happened to him. He became a worldwide hero and wrote a best-selling book. 
I mean, what the? That's amazing to me. That's absolutely amazing to me. All right, now. From October 21st of last year, did you ever hear about this? The NIH admitted the U.S.-funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan, in other words, developing a bioweapon against us, despite Anthony Fauci's denials. Why is this guy not in jail? Well, I think we all know. I think we all know. Man, oh man, oh man. All right, so we had a story yesterday about this about this uh, 10-year-old girl who it turns out was pregnant. And the reason that mom and the abortionist tried to hide it seems to be because it is, uh, she's pregnant by by mom's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. God bless Megan Fox for breaking all this news. Jorge Bonilla over at Media Research Center, home of Newsbusters, says it appears that Telemundo is the only national media outlet currently seeking to center the true victim of the awful Ohio rape case, not the abortionist, but the girl whose innocence was shattered by a member of her own household. So they have embedded the update from correspondent from Telemundo, Maria Vargas Pion, we played the audio from her report yesterday. And in her update today, she nails down the relationship between victim and abuser. And she says, hiding her face, the woman who opened for us the door of the home where the police confirmed that Gerson Fuentes lives, charged with raping a 10-year-old girl, identified herself as the mother of the minor, and stated that he is innocent. So the reporter asks her, do you as a girl's mother think that he is innocent? The mother says, of course. Reporter says, then why is he incarcerated? The mother says, I don't know, but I don't really want to talk. The reporter then says, Telemundo News confirmed with two people who know her that she is indeed the girl's mother, including Daisy Torres, who claims that they both frequent the same nightclub. Upon seeing photos and video images recorded with our cameras, she said the following. Is that her? It's her. Yes, that's right. And you say that she is the mother of the 10-year-old girl who was raped? Torres says, yes, it is the girl's mother. Reporter says she also said that the woman is in a relationship with Gerson Fuentes. Torres says he's her partner, and he is the father of the child she is carrying in her womb right now. Reporter says, so the woman is pregnant? Her friend Torres says, yes. 
Reporter says, throughout our exclusive interview with the woman who said that she is the girl's mother, we pressed her on whether 27-year-old Gerson Fuentes was the minor's rapist. She replied, without hesitation, everything that they are saying against him is a lie. So Jorge Bonilla over here at Newsbusters.org, Media Research Center, says, a horrendous story just got more awful, as I suspected. The victim's mother is in a domestic relationship with the confessed rapist. There are two other children in the household and another on the way. The child herself identified the rapist to law enforcement a week after the abortion and two weeks after the rape was reported to authorities. The question now has to be asked, why did the child remain in the household a full two weeks after the rape was reported? What other horrors will we learn of by the time the story is fully told? And one more thing, why isn't NBC reporting news broken by Telemundo, which is part of the same company? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Those are some heavy questions. And again, thank God Telemundo is covering it, but also thank God that Megan Fox, independent journalist, started it out. She was the only one out there who was like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Instead of just using this as some kind of abortion PR, okay, what about the 10-year-old little girl, if there actually is one? I mean, a 10-year-old cannot give consent anywhere in America. This is not like one of those countries where there is no age of consent law, okay? Just leave that at that. You can figure it out. You can do the math on that yourself, I believe. No, no. So Megan Fox took that ball and ran with it. Look, um, on tomorrow's episode, I plan to bring you some details about the murder of Ashley Babbitt, January 6th, at the U.S. Capitol, January 6th, 2021, that you have never heard before. In the meantime, you've been listening to Episode 195 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you'd like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansur's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansur, Sempia the 10th. And that's the way it is, Saturday, July 16th, 2022.